So Julie, I often tell people that there are four opportunities to overcoming an objection, the most powerful of which is before the objection happens. Have you ever heard of this concept? You're always teaching me new stuff, Torin. No, I haven't. Tell me more. So the acronym for me, and it's something that I used back in the 90s when I had my own sales team, the acronym is WNLB. Well, the B stands for before. And before any of you start to wonder which online system is best for payroll, let me share a few facts. Gusto is actually simple and easy, surprisingly easy and very fast. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. 85% of customers say running payroll is easier now than their previous provider. And three out of four customers take 10 minutes or less to run payroll with Gusto. I think that's easy. You can use our link, gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K for three complimentary months. Again, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to the very last Crazy and the King. Come on now. So, you you know, of course, of course, you got somebody out there saying the last one. And, and, And I'm not alarmed or sounding surprised. So they're probably like, you know, these two are real corny because. You know, whatever. They they already kind of knew that the other person was going to say what they were going to say. And no, it's not that we're being corny, but I do have a question. You got a reason for saying that. So seriously, what is the reason? Well, I mean, seriously, like Biden won the election. Trump is gone. So our work is that's a fair done question. here, right? But let me tell you something. Fine. That actually is a fair question because I got to tell you, I think about a lot of the radio personalities that I listen to, because, you know, Julie, I've shared this with you before, you know, from six in the morning until like 6 p.m., it's all talk radio for me. Like, rarely do I do music through the week because I'm always trying to stay, you know, connected to to what's happening. But I asked myself, I said, like, this there's probably going to be a whole lot of people that don't have a job. Because what are they going to talk about? Like, I've listened to them for, you know, the last three and a half years. But I think we kind of go through that question every time there is a change in administration. And and I know you do not believe that our work is done um, in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Speaking of which, did you get my text message yesterday? Don't say it out loud. Um, Just yes or no. Did you get... I sent you a screenshot. I got it. Oh, you yes. read, did you read yes, that? I did. So I did. I did. Absolutely underscores everything that we've been saying for the last month about that executive order. Everything. Everything yep. that we said. And, you everything. know, I sat back and I said to myself, you know, when I saw it, I immediately, Julie, I'm telling you, immediately took a screenshot on my phone like I was reading it on my laptop. Grab my phone, screenshot, text, sent it straight to you. And then I sent the same text to AG. And I said, this is what I was telling you. 
Exactly right. Exactly right. Fortunately, uh, we know that um, President-elect Biden has already signaled, which we would surely um, expect that he will roll back that EO uh, fairly quickly. So, but I'm still sticking the way right. that we told we you told so. You so. Like, this is a kind of moment. Um, so also, happy Veterans Day week to you. Um, thank you for your service as we get to celebrate uh, the veterans in our life. So week. let me let me let me uh, let me jump in on that. Um, first of all, let me say thank you. Uh, I received that. I can't remember who I was listening to and how long ago this was, but once again, the host gave an example of a veteran who said, "We don't want you to thank us for our service." Have you ever heard that before? Okay. I, I've, I've heard it not in the, I don't want you to thank us, but I don't need I to don't be need. thanked. Okay. Like it was my okay. duty, um, but not like we don't want it. Interesting. Okay, cool. So, you know, I thought about that. Uh, and again, I appreciate the, rec- the, the recognition, you know, of, of this particular day and the fact that I did serve some time in the Air Force. Um, and so today, you know, I, on this particular day, I make sure that I at least reach out to some of my friends and certainly others that I know or think could have served. And I, I, I modified it a little bit, Julie. I said, you know, thank you for making the decision to protect our country like I did. Um, I don't know, you know, and I, I think I did it that way this year because I, for some reason I was thinking about that that incident, which I couldn't remember and put my finger on. And so I said, let me see if I can find a way to get in the middle of this so that I'm not offending mm-hmm. anyone. If in fact, this is a large thing. And I've never really asked, you know, a number of people how they feel about it. Again, it doesn't bother me, but you know, for those of you who are out there, we really do appreciate, you know, that you made the, the decision. You, you volunteered. Um, you know, it was absolutely your mm-hmm. choice to say that I'm going to enlist in whichever branch it was and, and be a part of the forces that are protecting, you know, so many aspects of our country. Uh, and that's not always a favorable position, you know, more so, um, you know, when we're in times of war, if you will, conflict. But, you know, again, for a lot of people, Julie, they like, you know, y'all bring your ass home, you know, it, We'll need to have 4,800 bases around the world. Um, so so I appreciate that. But thank you very much. Fun fact, for those of you who okay. don't know me, um, I was asked to leave the military like six months early. Did, did you know that? I never no, told you you never that? told me this. Okay. No. Do we got time to put this story in? We got, okay, got all it. the so time in the world. So let me just tell you a quick story. Um, <clears throat> so I got in trouble a couple of times while I was in the military. Nothing crazy. You know, in the beginning, I got in trouble because, you know, we have dorms and each dorm is assigned a certain bank of phone calls. And of course, when you're 18 and fresh out of being away from home, you want to be able to call home. Most of us want to be able to call home. And and so I kind of got in trouble once for using the phones that were assigned to another dorm. Uh, so I ended up paying a price for that. Uh, I ended up paying a price for 
some gambling activity. Um, you know, just gambling being, you know, I thought to, in my, in my opinion, just kind of having fun, but, you know, because we had, you know, secret clearances, they saw that as being irresponsible. They saw that gambling as being a gateway to, um, potential nefarious activity to potential security compromises. Because if you're gambling and you're spending more than your two week paycheck or or you're having to borrow money to cover your debt to them, they said, well, you know, someone can come through and say, look, we'll offer you X number of dollars and maybe you can tell us what you all do inside of the elephant cage. Where I worked, Julie, it was called an elephant cage. We had these big, you know, like 50 foot, maybe 75 foot antennas from the ground up 100 foot. They were big. But we were inside of all these antennas and they called it the elephant cage. So, so we want to know what's going on inside of there because it's highly secured. Um, so I got in trouble for a couple of things. And then the last thing that I got in trouble for was punching an officer in the mouth. Um, so he called me a boy. I jumped across the table and I punched him in the mouth. Um, so there you go. That, that That's true. I had a great time in the military. They just said, you got to go. Uh, you're close to your separation date, so we're going to let you get out under an honorable conditions, but you got to go because your temper is, is incredible. So there you have it. Just Okay. Well, I can I can at least align with you on the fact that no one will ever give me a security clearance based on the uh, skeletons <laughs> in my closet. And <laughs> the only reason I haven't run for office is because of those crazy skeletons. Damn them. So thanks for sharing your story. It's, just, it's a little bit more than a credit report, right? It's just a little bit more. I got it. Yeah, I got yeah. it. I just, I just say you're, you're in good company. Um, <laughs> so next week, um, I want to cover a yep. special topic before we get started with this week's shows or stories. It, so it's starting this week, but most of next week is Transgender Awareness Week. Um, and I've seen a lot of really great awareness articles starting to come out this week. And so I thought maybe next week we could devote our show to how to improve um, employment issues for people who are transgender, um, how to be more accepting in our lives. Just just a nice like awareness episode. We haven't done one of those for transgender Yeah, I think it'd be good. Yet. And, you know, also it will allow us to, to dig in a little bit. Uh, and talk about, you know, some of the other issues that they may be experiencing that impact how they show up in the workplace. And so uh, I'm looking forward to that. And and to that end, you know, listeners, we, we want to also share with you that our hope, you know, Julie and I are running through raindrops each and every day uh, with our respective schedules. But our hope is to bring you all some guest voices over the next several weeks. And so hopefully we'll be able to nail uh, you know, nail, nail some of those uh, conversations, record them and, you know, get them produced and spun up so that you all can hear uh, some fresh voices as we approach the holidays and the end of the year. So uh, some exciting stuff on tap for the next four to five to six weeks. Stick with us for real. Yes. And, and just so you know, that's Torrin's nice way of reminding me that I have not booked the appropriate interviews yet. That was, that was absolutely <laughs> what that was. But quite frankly, let's be transparent, Torrin. I have yet to reach out to the entity that I was like literally this morning, 2 a.m. 
I'm, I'm, I'm laying and I'm like, oh, I still haven't sent that email. So I get you one, 1,000%. I feel I'm, you. I'm with you 100%. That's us. Uh, so have you ever heard the joke about the Florida man? I've never man? heard the joke. Okay. So if you Google Florida man at any given point in your lifetime and the first news that comes up will be some man from Florida doing something incredibly stupid, like Florida man loses his hand searching for golf ball in gator's mouth. Florida man run over while doing something running naked on the highway. Florida, oh, so, so, just try it. It's, all right, wait a minute. It's worth so, a giggle. So I got it up. So right now I'm, I'm on my, my mobile. It says yep. Florida man is an internet meme popularized in 2013. Uh, taken from various, various is the operative word, various unrelated news articles describing people who hail from or live in Florida. And yes, right below yes. that, even uh, April of this year, top 40 Florida man stories on YouTube. So this is the thing. I'm going to have to check this out. Yeah. Well, here's a great one. I just I just did it. And it says Florida man arrested after meltdown. Over lettuce from the New York Daily News three days ago. So anyway, so New York or Florida man, you bored, you need a laugh, Google it. But a really cool story from a young Florida man, Chris Nykik, I think is how you spell or say his last name. Uh, 21-year-old becomes the first person with Down syndrome to complete not just a triathlon, but an Ironman triathlon. Jer. Yes. So it's a two and a half mile swim, a hundred and twelve mile bike ride, and then a marathon. Yo. All at one time. Yep. I could I could do the swim. I could do half the run and maybe yeah, none of no, the biking. He he, he absolutely is. He's all over the news uh for the feat that he did. And and again, the first individual would down and why is that i'm curious julie why is that uh, how do i get this out the right way why is it important to to highlight that he has down syndrome so one of the common traits of people with down syndrome is muscle weakness and skeletal weakness and so when you see um, individuals who are overcoming additional obstacles physically, uh, like a person with Down syndrome to be a weightlifter, to be a, an Ironman athlete, um, they're really, really pushing beyond the boundaries of, of what is expected of, of the human body that they're built with. And so that makes it even more extraordinary. And he did this. Can you guess how long it took him? I, I can tell you it would take me like five <laughs> days. But how long do you think it took Chris? <laughs> yeah, five days. Well, he did it in less than a day. That's for sure. He did 16 hours and 46 minutes, which is well under the cutoff time for completing the, uh, the triathlon incredible now a member of the guinness book of world records um holds a special record at the special olympics 
And in fact, he gained 35,000 Instagram followers that day, which is Yeah, they said in the CNN story that he actually fell off his bike at one point and, you know, landed in a bed of of ants, was attacked, uh, but he kept pushing through. You know, there's a great um, uh, story and release for him on Special Olympics. I wonder if he worked with anyone over at Special Olympics. You know, I love them. They They are always on my Sirius XM show. But- you know, one of the things that I'm looking at in this picture is he's got someone behind him. And I wonder who this individual is that's supporting him. Did you did you learn any of that in the story that you you captured? Yeah, so he he had three, I'll call okay. them guides. Yeah, this guy, um, is, yeah, this guy I, is wearing I, a guide vest. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that he may have some some vision like low vision or, or maybe blind. I don't know. Um, it didn't say specifically, but based on the tether that I saw in both the swimming and in the running pieces, um, there must be some vision limitations. Again, I have no idea how that works with a 112 mile bike ride. Um, but incredible none, nonetheless. Um, and, and I think what's important here is just a couple of things, right? I, I've recently kind of introduced a, some new topics into my conversations about ableism, right? And one is, and I, I think the one I really want everyone to take away from this one is that people with disabilities are capable of much more than the world permits mm-hmm. us to be, right? The expectation as a person with Down syndrome is, you know, going to be this way physically or that way physically and their intelligence is going to be this level. And just like any human body or any human brain, we have limits, but they're not the limits that we're born with. They're the limits that we put on ourselves and the limits that the world puts on us. Um, And so that's important, right? And then you kind of go to the other extreme is a lot of times when we talk about people with disabilities, like Chris, right? We, we get into sort of a tokenism, like you have to be extraordinary to be yeah. valuable. And we don't have to be extraordinary to be valuable. If Chris never did anything other than be an amazing son, um, work at a job he loved and hang out with his friends for his whole life, he's valuable to all of those people. And so we have to be careful with stories like this to celebrate them, but not to tokenize a person with a disability as a superhero because he did something extraordinary. His value is not wrapped in this triathlon. It's wrapped in who he is as a human. And this is an incredible feat that he undertook and and an opportunity that he took to break a lot of barriers. Yeah, that's why I asked, you know, I was hesitant in, in, in how I shaped that question. Uh, for those of you who are out there listening, Chris's website. He has his own website. It's Chris Nikik, N-I-K-I-C. That's Chris, C-H-R-I-S, N as in Nancy, I-K-I-C as in Charlie, chrisnickick.com. And he and his father, Julie, developed what they call the 1% Better Challenge, uh, which is a challenge to promote Down syndrome awareness in two steps. Number one, you get 1% better for 30 days. And number two, help somebody else do exactly the same. How cool is that? Like literally, Torin, you challenge Julie 
or, or, or Torn, you set a goal for yourself for the next 30 days, the entire month of December, this is going to be my goal. And, and Julie, I'm going to challenge you to do something to get better. The 1% better challenge. You can also buy t-shirt and support others that are trying to shift, combat, make better uh, the life of those with Down syndrome. So this was an awesome story. And you are right, Julie. Um, you know, our dear friend, Carmen Daniels, she has a saying around, um, and it's called, she has, ah, it's not pity porn. Um, oh, it's, uh, you know where I'm going. Um, oh God, I was going to say it a minute yeah, ago too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I can't remember it, but, oh, but you, you raise a very good point. Oh, inspiration porn. Inspiration porn. That's it. That's it. So you 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 said it very well around how is it that we signal boost and amplify stories of this caliber uh, so that we are not slanted in how we do that. We are not doing anything that jades the walk in the life of others that are experiencing this uh, travail through life um, and, and others. So, yes, we just simply want to be supportive and absolutely, you know, raise awareness for what we think is a really good story. I'm I'm. I'm like you. Uh, you put me in front of a triathlon starting uh, line, and I'm, you know, remember a couple of episodes back, and you talked about sneaking to get a McDonald's cheeseburger or something. That, yeah, chicken. chicken. Yeah, that, that's me. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm dipping off in Chipotle when nobody's looking. Like you know, y'all catch me at the whatever when everybody's gone. I'll probably be crossing the finish line. Like this, this is crazy. This is a big deal. So yeah. great story. Yes, huge, huge. Um, and and we were due yeah. for a good story. So Julie's been really intense this last couple, True. let's say, four years. Not four weeks of pod, but four years of, of administration. Speaking of which, that's a great segue because I wanted to tackle something this week that we haven't really talked about as I kind of went through the recesses of of our show, uh, the library, I don't really recall us hitting environmental racism. Does that ring a bell for you? Um, it is not something that we've talked about and it's only something that I've recently started to learn about. So, yeah, so, so what are your thoughts? Um, it, it looks like on November 4th, the U.S. officially withdrew from the 2015 Paris Climate Accord. Uh, this actually was brought about because we had to sort of sit for one year, like a, a, a mandatory one year period. Um, President Trump, I guess, declared that we were going to pull out of the Paris Climate Accord, but we kind of sit for one year and then we can officially be be out of such. And so um, that happened on November 4th of 2020. But President-elect Joe Biden has already promised that he's going to rejoin the Climate Agreement Accord on his first day in office. Now, that's a bit of a misnomer because for a lot of people, what you might not know is that it takes about six months for them to readmit you, to re-enroll you in the uh, the Climate Accord. But, but here's the reason why I'm bringing up environmental racism. I'm bringing mm -hmm. it up because it reminds you of the poison tap water in Flint, Michigan. It should remind yep. you of 
um, or make you more familiar or research curious around the toxic waste dumps in the lower, lower Rio Grande Valley. Um, it can take you internationally, globally to a town in China where 80% of the children have been poisoned by old computer parts. I think about the lead paint here in Baltimore. Uh, I think about the lead in our water fountains. Most of the water fountains, and this is no exaggeration, most of the water fountains in public schools in Baltimore are either turned off or they have like police don't touch tape on them. So you got students that are in elementary school. I mean, think about it. you go outside for recess. Hell, you don't even have to go out for recess. Just sitting there, they get thirsty. They need they're antsy, they're thirsty, they need they gotta bring water. So when we think about environmental racism, it's a term that is coined or was coined by Benjamin Chavis, who is a uh or a, a civil rights leader, and he actually coined the term uh back in nineteen eighty two. And Julie, if you've been in any degree of conversation with me. You've heard me talk about the book, The Color of Law, on a number of occasions. Mm-hmm. And I'm like yes. you, I, you know, I wasn't all that up on the phrase environmental racism. I knew Flint was wrong. I knew the Dakota pipeline mm-hmm. was wrong. I knew, I, I mean, I know these these situations are wrong. but. I didn't really connect them as much as I should have to a book that I absolutely love. And what we what we found and continue to find is that the policymaking, the enforcement, the regulations, the laws, the deliberate targeting of communities of color for toxic waste facilities and trash uh, facilities and all of the other pollutants they are even more so an impediment, a hazard, a problem there than in white communities. And this is not a poor thing. So let me- I am very specific. Okay, that's yes, what I was going to ask I'm you. very specific when I say communities of color. So you can go to a city that has a solid black middle class and the propensity of you finding a trash facility, a waste reclamation plant, or some other thing like that, it's higher that it'll be next to that black middle-class neighborhood than it will be next to a white neighborhood. And that is an absolute problem. We gotta be focused on environmental racism and I'm glad that the new administration is finding it important that it's something that they wish to rejoin. I guess the bigger question, and you may not be able to answer it for me, and that's cool if you can't, but I guess the bigger question is why is it that why is it that they find you know policies around um emissions and you know how we dump waste? Why is it that I'll just say people and or Republicans? Why do they find that to be an issue? Uh, um, uh, you know, CO2, what do you call it, the carbon footprint? Why is that something that we're arguing arguing over? I, I don't understand that. Um, 
I mean, it's relative to any Republican philosophy, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. One is is that um, less regulation is good, so the market will control the supply and demand. And if consumers care about environmental issues, then companies will respond and the government shouldn't have to control it. It's kind of a libertarian focus. Um, The other is, is to be frank, um, is donations. It's lobbying, right? If, if big oil, um, energy, you know, non-renewable energy are a, a large part of your donor base, then you have You can be bought and, and, and sold by big energy if you are an elected official in this com- country. And, you know, again, I think it's just that sort of laissez-faire focus on capitalism as well as um, the independent spirit of Americans, right? We don't want anyone to tell us what we can or can't do, how we can or cannot make money, and we will just like we're seeing in COVID, bite off our nose to spite our face, um, just to kind of mess with the other party or to say that we we don't agree with a, a different party. And it's uh, environmentalism, I think, and climate change is probably, and I am being naive, I think, but I think one of the first truly, truly shouldn't be political issue issues um, that I kind of remember starting to see like a great divide in Americans where it shouldn't exist. Yeah. It's crazy to me because I think about an article that I read maybe three or four years ago talking about the coastal waterways, um, particularly down in Florida, which of course is near and dear to me. And you know how they just said that the, the, the shoreline is, is receding. Like it's, there's just so much happening and and I just find it I find it amazing that we would be more focused on capitalism, leave me alone, let me just make money um versus you know yeah, I want to be responsible. Like I absolutely find that amazing. We just had someone running for office who uh down in Texas as a matter of fact, running he's running for office um, I, I guess that that election is over. I, I'm, I'm assuming it took place as well on on the third. But, you know, he's running for office and he's got like 200 something infractions. You know, he he's in big oil, like you said, but he's got more mm-hmm. than 200 and something infractions. And yet. The constituents or, or the, the the law allows him to to be able to be on the ballot and have people actually vote for this dude statewide. Yeah. I think the other thing that we miss here is a good, a good plan and a good message, right? So if you take a place like, let's say Houston, they have massive environmental issues related to flooding, um, relating to fracking, all of those kind of things that we're seeing as a cause of climate change. and are damaging our planet. But what's most important to a voter is if oil and gas go away, what am I going to do? And when I was in um, 
Germany about about two and a half years ago, Angela Merkel um, had made a commitment that they were going to phase out the remaining, let's say, a thousand, two thousand coal jobs in Germany, and they made a commitment to those two thousand workers to re-educate and reskill them in renewable energy in those areas. And so, you know, it it's easy, I think, to to blame Republicans, which I do 99% of the time, don't get me wrong. Um, but this is a this is a government, this is a failure of bureaucracy and it's a failure of messaging as well. Um, one, it, we don't talk about how it impacts communities of color. So this is something we haven't messaged correctly. Two, um, it's one of those things, again, where I see that we pit white against black a lot of times or or white against person of color. And then then finally, um, we don't truly have an investment from our government in how to retool labor that can have great value in renewable energy and have great value in terms of more economic production for the country. We just kind of, again, straight American, like pull yourself up by the bootstraps and figure it out, coal miner. I don't care what you do with yourself. Um, And so there, there are multiple failings um, when it comes to smart environmental policy and, and salesmanship. I mean, Chad always tells me, he's like, you know, you guys have to get better on the message and, and if you get better on the message, we have to get better on the delivery. Yeah, I agree as well. 1000%. And I raised it up as an issue one, because I want to make sure that our listeners are thinking about something that I think is important. But two, as we approach a, another spike in COVID, you know, some areas are doing a little bit better than others, but all of us are going to experience something different over the next several months. Um, I just want us to do a better job individually, collectively, as companies, as communities, and as you just said, politically. Think about your organization. You probably are putting out a corporate social responsibility report, or you might either be uh, in the process or uh, assigned a participant in developing, drafting your company's ESG report, environmental, social, and governance report. Um, and we know that those things invest, they, they absolutely have an impact on stock prices and the way that organizations operate. And so with COVID, with our desire to do better, um, Julie and I just want to be responsible and at least raise the issue. And, and I'll try to do a better job in 2021 of keeping my finger on the pulse of this because this environmental racism has ramifications through education, through health social mobility, wealth generation, crime, more. It impacts pretty much all of how we live. So I'm going to do a better job of keeping my finger on the pulse. You got a name drop? Uh, I do. My name drop, uh, as it does every Veterans Day, goes to my gorgeous husband, Chad Sowash, who uh, served us for 20 years. I'm I'm clapping, Uh, but do you tell – I'm still clapping. I'm going to keep clapping. Do you tell him he's gorgeous <laughs> to his face? How does he take that word? Every day. Oh my! Have he you lo- met he, him? He loves he's it. He's a ham, he just, huh? Eats it up. As they he say, he's a up. ham. He loves um, it. Chad, you're gorgeous, man. He loves it. Thanks a lot for getting out there, <laughs> making that decision to serve with all of us. 
We appreciate you as well as anyone else out there who's listening that took some time to be in one of our military branches of service. You know, Julie and I had fun this week. We needed to because it was actually a bit stressful last week for a lot of people for a variety of reasons. You know, we've worked hard. We've read some stories. There was a story that I was going to cover around, um, you know, workplace safety. You know, and I said, nope, I'm not even going to really put that out there. I think I mentioned it briefly, but I said, you know, I'm not going to spend any time talking about it because I just don't want to seed that negative sentiment, um, you know, amongst our listeners. So we we needed to come a bit light this week, and I'm glad we did, you know? Agree. So it's definitely not the last episode. We still have to lace up our boots and get back to work. And uh, I, I know I'm looking forward to doing Absolutely. it with you for another and year. The words of B.B. King, the beautiful thing about learning is nobody can take it away from you. I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe. Listen, we are in year two. We'll be in year three uh, in January. Help us get to like a gazillion downloads like share it with other people catch me on Sirius XM 126 at 10 a.m. on Sunday they changed my time let's talk to them about that I like nobody asked me for my input but I guess when you're not being paid to do it they like whatever we can put your joint on whenever we feel like it for now Julie and I are ghosts see ya So, Torin, we have a sponsor. Mad cool. That says that they appreciate the work that we are doing through this podcast vehicle. You know what else is cool is what other people are saying about Gusto. So give me examples. I mean, it's easy for you to say people are talking about it, but give me some examples. So Tom S. said Gusto has allowed my small company to offer big time benefits without an HR department. Shout out to Tom. But do you have more? Yes, I have another one from Sation who says Gusto is effortless, which is how I like HR. Out of sight, out of mind, yet doing what it's supposed to do. So what you are saying is Gusto is more than a payroll provider. Absolutely. And Gusto integrates with all of your favorite tools that, again, makes life easier. Tools like QuickBooks, Google, and and many others. So if you visit gusto.com slash C-A-T-K, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K, you'll get three complimentary months from Crazy and the King. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.